1: This episode is sponsored by Zengo. You're listening to The Hash Headlines
0: on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories
2: from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story.
3: Let's go. Let's talk about Do Kwon. We haven't talked about him in a little bit. Interpol has put out a notice to arrest him wherever he may be. The last time we heard about him, he was supposed to be in Singapore. South Korea had put out an arrest warrant for him, but he was not in South Korea. There were some flight risk questions out there. Then we saw Do Kwon's are tweeting about it. He was saying that, hey, I'm not going to tell you where I am unless you're a friend of mine. I'm not going to give you my GPS coordinates. Well, now Interpol wants to know where he is at. We don't know where he's at. The last time we had a tweet from him, His location was about a week ago. There's some rumors out there about where he may be. Of course, there's the rumor mill is always going to be churning right now, but we don't know where he's at. This, of course, follows on the big collapse of Terra back in May. The coin went from $60 billion market cap to zero in a hurry. Zach, I'm going to throw this one over to you, get your take on it. This is a big step up. I'm wondering if this puts some pressure on other people in the crypto ecosystem who have backed Terra or other people in the crypto ecosystem who have had similar face plants. This is a very serious step up to see an Interpol warrant out for Do Kwon.
2: Yeah, this has been brewing a few weeks now. First sort of noticed this one out a couple of weeks and now we're hearing more about it. They want this guy found, they can't find him. Where in the world is Do Kwon? That's the story, just like Carmen Sandiego, but for different reasons entirely. So where he is, honestly, I like the cheeky tweets. Those are good. I like that he's being like, hey, Unless we're friends or we're playing a, uh, you know, a GPS game, you don't need to know where I am. So he seems to be taking it a bit in stride, sort of maybe you know, returning to some of his bombastic ways after a period of prolonged silence. So wherever he ends up turning up, it should be interesting to see what happens. Maybe he's feeling good about where he stands. He has also said that they've been cooperating with authorities to sort of get to the bottom of this. Whether that's true or not, we just don't know. He has a history of making statements that have proven to be not exactly truthful in retrospect. So it will be interesting to see if indeed he has been cooperating and whether or not when he surfaces, he's treated with respect by the authorities, because I think there's still a lot of angry investors out there. who are looking for a bit of justice in the whole thing that transpired back in May. So, hey, who knows? But I'll toss it to Jen for your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I was excited to make the Carmen San Diego parallel there, Zach, and you just stole it from me. <laughs> it's nice uh, to have so you back. It is nice to have you back. The subhead on this, Quan maintains he's not on the run, but his location is unknown. It very much sounds like he's hiding despite what he says, right? And these cheeky tweets, I know he's become known for them, but it's almost like a knife to the back of all of the retail investors that suffered because of what happened, and it's just so—I say this every time—we talk about Do Kwan, So disheartening to see how out to lunch he is, how in his own little world he is. It really still feels like you know he's still not willing to take responsibility for what happened. The Terra Luna collapse is one of the major contributors to the contagion that we're seeing happen across the market now, and he's out there tweeting, you know, you. You can only have my location if we're playing a Web3 game or if you're one of my friends, but there is a warrant out for your arrest. So there are definitely other people who should have your GPS locations. Doquan, Wendy, what do you think?
0: Jen, I I share a lot of your sentiments on this because it's like insane. It's absolutely insane. Like, you are a wanted man. You are on twitter.com, fun posting with everybody. Like, things are okay. Where's legal? Like, if you're in trouble for something, aren't you not supposed to be on the internet tweeting? Like, isn't I'm that pretty bad sure idea? that's the thing we
1: learn in the movies?
0: Like, I just, I'm very confused as to why, like, he's tweeting. Like, that's all I have. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have like what. What else can you say? Like the ego here. I am. I'm in trouble. I'm wanted by Interpol. I am wanted by so many people on a global scale. Yet I'm going to sit here and tweet for fun
2: i kind of like it I, I like that you made it posting fun posting there wendy that was nice well, that was nice did, g-rated I move i appreciate that show. i noticed that it, That this was is a good. family show that was good that was good but you know what by saying it i kind of
3: like
0: we're it. trying is to get sponsors here tacos okay. we'd like to get free tacos <laughs> for the rest of our lives so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to change some of the verbiage around here i'm here to clean it up tuesday's top story
2: We're going to talk about FTX briefly here and then a little bit later. FTX scooped up all of Voyager Digital's assets. Voyager Digital, the crypto lending platform, filed for bankruptcy in July. Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX chief, swooped in, made a bid, and ended up acquiring that stuff. Interesting move, consolidation, following the great deleveraging, and FTX gets a little bit bigger with some potentially savvy business moves. All right, Will, I'm going to throw this to you. What do you think about SBF and FTX buying up the remains of Voyager Digital? It's pretty interesting. And I like the pairing here because it
3: was actually Binance versus FTX to get all these assets, right? So we have a nice little exchange board between Binance, the heavyweight, and FTX, the new kid on the block, which has really established itself over the last two years, buying up $1.4 billion worth of assets during this Chapter 11 fiasco for Voyager. Voyager... Seemingly out of the woods now, doesn't really exist as a company anymore. All the assets are gone. The question now is for clients and customers of Voyager. What are they going to do? And are they going to get some of these assets from this Chapter 11 and from this buyout from Alameda or should I say FTX rather? Not quite sure, right? FTX and SBF specifically have talked about the need to make customers whole, the need to make a lot of these retail participants have a little bit more Bitcoin in their wallets than they ended up with after this whole fiasco with Voyager going belly up. And I'd like to see what their plan is going out of this. Binance on the other side didn't say anything about that. right? They were trying to buy out these assets. And who quite knows what the purpose of that is. And I'm no chapter 11 expert on this. So I don't know what they're going to do in the end of the day. But I am interested to see if SPF holds true to what his first goal was when he was trying to buy Voyager's assets. Jen, over to you.
1: Yeah, the press release kind of alluded to the possibility of transitioning customers over to FTX US, which I thought was really interesting. So FTX spent $1.4 billion here, and I think there's three and a half million customers uh, on Voyager. So I did some quick napkin math, which equates to a cost per acquisition of about $400 a customer, if all three and a half million. We're to go over to FTX US. So I thought that, you know, like if we're looking at the quick napkin math there, it makes a lot of sense when you think about the full lifetime value of a customer. I think this story though, highlights an important lesson. So when we look at the bankruptcy filings, I'm just gonna take a little snippet from one of the reports that came out on the story. In bankruptcy proceedings, customers of crypto platforms are treated as unsecured creditors, meaning that they're not actually entitled to the crypto they purchased. I think that there was a very valuable lesson there to be learned for anyone who is getting into crypto. Understand what you are buying and what you own. I think we can all learn from this. Zach?
2: Thank you for that math. That was actually really good. And I think that's a good way to look at this Mm -hmm. whole story, right? Like if this is really about broadening the pie in terms of FTX US's user base, then sure, that's a solid investment. I think it also suggests that crypto lending is still a pillar, one of those core things that is offered in the world of CFI, among these centralized exchanges and other service providers that people want, right? They get these digital assets, they get their Bitcoin, they wanna get a little bit of yield on it, they're just gonna let it sit there. And that's what these crypto lenders represented and how they found product market fit. Of course, they were a bit of a black box. All the risks that they had been taking on were not known to the world uh, in a way that would be native to uh, say a DeFi uh, lending platform. And because of those risks that they were taking, they got wrecked bad. And that's why we're seeing this now as another uh, market participant scoops up the remaining assets of Voyager. But it does suggest that some of these companies, you know, they see crypto lending as something that's going to stick around for the long haul as customers get these digital assets and look for some yield that they can take on them as they hold for the long term. Will, just wanted to get your last thoughts on this one before we shift. Yeah. Last thought here is
3: that FTX US continues to stay winning. Like We don't know what's going to happen, right? But this is a nice little end of the whole bull cycle for them. They came into the bull cycle, the new kid. They did really, really well. They have that pairing with Alameda Research. They're able to market make. They're able to scoop up a lot of firms during the bull run and sort of become the de facto place. Oh, we got a fact check coming. And then out of it, they've done really well, scooping up Voyager, who knows what's next for them during this bear lull, this intercycle period where a lot of things get boring, but this certainly will help them set up for the next bull cycle. Probably get some customers in the door who are endeared to them by the fact that they have worked with them. And then from there, we don't quite know, like they, they might be able to turn around and get some of these assets back on their book.
2: Zach, over to you. No fact check, sir. Just a yes and for all you improv fans out there. Yes, Will, well stated. And some additional FTX news that hit the wire just as we were preparing to go to show. FTX US chief Brett Harrison stepping down from that role to an undisclosed next thing coming. He made that announcement on Twitter this morning. Interesting to see that stepping down happen on this day.
0: ZenGo crypto wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which, until now, has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply, see site for details.
1: Wednesday's top story so let's get Kraken Zach what do you got
2: oh see what you did there very nice we have a special oh. guest here today on the hash <laughs> we don't do interviews a lot here on the hash so the few that we do are very special we're joined today by Dave Ripley he is the incoming CEO of Kraken which is the top five crypto exchange in the world how you doing Dave doing great nice to
4: be here with you guys today
2: all right, man, uh, we're just gonna get right to it. You got some big shoes to fill. Jesse Powell, long time crypto OG. Why did he really step down, sir? What happened? What's going on over there?
4: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right about big shoes to fill. I mean, I, if you think about it, I mean, how many, how many people out there have done more for the crypto industry than, than Jesse? Obviously built an amazing company as well at Kraken. You know, it's been a, it's been a while for him. So 11 years since the founding of Kraken. And, you know, he's interested in taking a step up as we're referring to it and to become uh, the chairman of Kraken. You know, I think companies at a, a different level of scale, of course, you know, he really is an incredible zero to one leader. And he wants to you know kind of focus on a couple of more narrow areas, if you will, going forward namely industry advocacy, which is, you know, broader than Kraken itself. And then, uh, and then kind of, you know, think, think harder about kind of product innovation in in those areas.
2: Fantastic. I'm going to stick with you here, Dave. So my question is the timing here is such that we're in the middle of a a bit of a downturn in the markets, a bit of a bear or fiddle season as the builders call it, as Mm -hmm. you step into this role. And to be clear, you've not yet assumed the CEO role. You're still looking for a CEO to fill your existing role. But as you step into this role, in this market environment, how are you going about approaching that? What's your view in these wintry months for making Kraken a better experience for its users and potentially uh, that next wave of crypto, uh, crypto investors?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, great question. You know, so this isn't our first bear market by any means, and it's definitely not mine either. I've been through, a, call it, this is the, the third kind of significant bear market that, that I've experienced. And You know, at this point, I think we're built for this. It's not our first rodeo. We have done a lot of things over the history of Kraken, and and, in certainly my time here as well, to prepare for the you know volatility and dynamic uh, aspects of the, the crypto market. And so we're going in feeling pretty confident about this market. You know, truthfully, like the first bear market that I endured, I was I was like, oh dear God, what have I done with my life? But that was you know way back in 2015, and now here we sit in in 2022, and I think we're we're in a great position. We have an incredible team. We have a scalable product and operational uh, business. We have a strong balance sheet. Um, We've, you know, are are generally over the long arc of history of of Kraken, meaningfully profitable. And so we're in, we're in a great position. We've kind of continued to hire uh, throughout, uh, throughout this year. I mean, we of course are continually reassessing you know, hiring plans and in moderating growth appropriately to, you know, match what's best for the business. But I think we're we're in a great shape to kind of further strengthen and and fortify the business during this period.
2: Sounds good. Last one for me before I dish the rock. I'm gonna ask you about, you know, plans to go public, right? This has long been simmering over at Kraken. There's been some loose timelines about maybe entering (laughs) the public markets along with fellow crypto exchange Coinbase. Where do the IPO plans stand given market conditions? And given this change of leadership, is that still on?
4: Yeah. So no specificity on you know IPO IPO plans that we can we can share. It's actually one of the aspects of going public is that you know there's you're, you're unable to share any specificity on on the actual plans for for doing so. For context, we actually haven't done a huge amount of uh, equity fundraising in, in Kraken's history. We've done some, and we do have our eyes set on doing you know, this being a meaningful part of the, the business going forward, both private and public funding are out there for us. And I think, you know, we, we are definitely gearing up to kind of engage more and more with external investors in the coming years.
3: Dave, again, thanks for coming on The Hash. We don't do a lot of interviews, so this is great to snag your time. Appreciate it. Interested about company culture. Jesse definitely set a very loud tone about what he wanted Kraken to be like. Curious if that's going to change with you coming into hellmanship here, or do you expect it to stay the same? What's your take on company culture?
4: All of the dynamic aspects of crypto, it's tough to say nothing, you know, nothing will ever change. But this is the one thing that I can say for certain will be, you know, steadfast and we will, you know, unwaver, be unwavering on, which is our our mission Our values in our culture, and so we did a lot of great work. You know, I was obviously incredibly involved in kind of defining that. You know, how we really see our mission and vision going forward, our values in our culture, and we think this is frankly a a source of our our success and source of our potential and success going forward as well.
1: Hey, Dave, I'm curious about your vision for the company as you step into the CEO role. So. We've seen a lot of MA in the space. We've seen exchanges look, you know, NFTs offering banking services. What's your vision as we kind of get through the bear market?
4: Yeah. So, a few different things. So, we're absolutely, of course, bullish on, on the crypto space. We think that, you know, innovation is going to continue. We've seen some kind of significant breakout innovations over the past handful of years, DeFi, and then followed by. You know more significant adoption of a number of different use cases for nfts and so from my perspective uh in the coming years we're going to kind of enter an interesting period where a number of these different use cases you know reinforce each other and that's like where i think we hit escape velocity so you know borrowing an example from the internet um you know e-commerce online media email they're all more valuable given that the other technologies and innovations exist so with e-commerce you can use email to communicate with customer support, and much the same. Now you can use digital art in a as collateral in a DeFi contract. Well, maybe not exactly just yet. There are a couple early use cases and, and potentials to use that, but I, you know, call it you know several years from now. I think that these kind of reinforcing use cases that are going to come together are going to be even more significant. Where does Kraken sit in all of this? Sorry to get to your question. We've historically been a bridge from kind of the TradFi world to crypto, and we're looking to kind of continue that as our, our main contribution to the ecosystem. But we're going to look to like build that bridge deeper and deeper into the most exciting and and interesting different use cases within crypto.
1: Do you have your sights set on any acquisitions?
4: We do. We do. Of course we're, you know, can't, you know, disclose all of the specifics or company names or anything like that. For M&A. But, you know, generally, I think where we've focused M&A more recently has been on the uh, you know, new product and technology and innovation side. So, you know, much the same as what I just described. Our biggest acquisition to date was a company staked. They provide, you know, staking infrastructure. We jumped out fairly early in the staking uh, services space. And that acquisition really helped us, you know, fortify our, our technology and our infrastructure in that, in that, that space. We now, you know, via that acquisition support 30 plus, uh, different tokens for staking service globally. And we've brought a lot of that technology in house. I think, you know, another area that, you know, as you, you probably know, we've announced we're going to be launching our NFT marketplace in the not too distant future. And so this would be another area where we're looking for you know, M&A opportunities, maybe not directly for that marketplace, but, you know, different NFT technologies in and around that kind of center platform. So I think that's like where you'll see us look generally. So we're all years if some folks have new, exciting product and tech and innovations that, you know, that are in the crypto sphere.
0: Pleasure to meet you, Dave. I've got a question about how Kraken plans to, I guess, navigate these murky waters with current regulators in the United States.
4: Yeah, that's, that's a broad one, not to mention the rest <laughs> of the globe as well, right? Yeah. I think we've continually seen evolving regulations. We're even you know, now seeing more and more at the lawmaking level as well. And so just operationally and structurally, what are we doing? I mean, we invest enormously in this space. You know, so we have a legal team led by Marco Santori, one of the, I mean, just you know, absolute you know, top um, and most experienced individuals in the the intersection of, you know, legal policy, regulatory and crypto that leads our team. We also built out a policy team recently. This is a group that kind of works on the forward looking uh, engagement with both regulators and lawmakers. And so that team is now 10 plus Marcos team overall is 50 plus. And then, of course, as we get to market with all different types of products and services. Uh, you know, we have our, our core compliance team is close to 300. And then we have another 300 plus, you know, across operations kind of working in and around compliance. And so it's really a significant part of investment for us. I think, you know, for where we sit in the ecosystem, being this bridge from TradFi to to crypto, I think it's really, it's fundamental for us. And it's critical that that we have this and do this. I think, you know, as we see, there's more and more regulators coming into the fold. Once upon a time, it was just this one treasury called FinCEN, um, and now we have many other regulators in the U.S. that are getting involved in crypto. CFTC, of course, the SEC, a number of these others, and so we're you know looking to proactively engage with with all of them, and, and we we have them.
0: Well, if you need all help right, in West? California, please drop me a line. Okay.
4: Sounds great. Resident Californian
2: over here. Just FYI, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last question for me, Dave, as we wrap this thing up. I want to go to the culture, the crypto culture. Now, whether fairly or not, I think of Kraken as sort of like the exchange for Bitcoin maxis. I don't know if you subscribe to that view, but obviously of late, you guys have done a lot of interesting <laughs> stuff with a lot of other networks. You mentioned staked, right? Providing staking rewards across a plethora of proof of stake blockchains. Are you a Bitcoin maxi? Mm-hmm. Does Bitcoin maximalism prevail at Kraken? Culturally, where does Kraken fit within the broader exchange ecosystem?
4: Well, we affectionately call our team Krakenites, and we have a number of Krakenites that, that sit on both sides, you know, that are Bitcoin Maxis and, and some that some that aren't. Kraken as a company, we are very supportive of being multi-token. And we, of course, list, you know, two, 200, ish tokens on the platform. We're excited about you know new innovations in in different parts of the ecosystem, and we we kind of view ourselves as being impartial to these various different technologies. And so I think that's where we sit as a as a company in the, the space. I would say that kind of you mentioned culture and in, in in values and so forth. Like yeah, our culture and values are predicated on kind of what we refer to as crypto values: the you know economic freedom, inclusion, equality, global perspective. All of these things are very much like how we define ourselves as a, as a company. I think that's true. You know, a lot of those values are pervasive among Bitcoin, but then just more broadly across crypto. So given we have that view on the the space and we think we have a lot of people that have been in crypto for a long time, I think we, we do have a lot of maybe OG crypto individuals as clients. But I don't know if we necessarily have more Bitcoin maxis as clients. Perhaps that could be. All right, we will leave it there,
2: and we'll dig into uh, you know the ethnography of Bitcoin uh, maximalism at a later date. But thank you for touching on that, Dave, and thanks for spending some time with us here on the Hash. This is Dave Ripley; he's the incoming CEO of Kraken. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks,
1: Dave. Thursday's top story:
2: some giga bull at the CFTC is talking about pumping Bitcoin. What? What, the, what is this story? This is crazy Hell talk. Yeah. All right, we're talking about CFTC chair Benham going on stage and saying, hey, there's a CFTC regulated market. Bitcoin could, quote, double in price. What the price prediction? That's crazy talk. <laughs> anyway, I was mm-hmm. struck by this one. Interesting little nugget here. Obviously, the subtext is there's a bit of a turf war between the CFTC and the SEC over which US agencies should regulate the crypto markets. This is specific to Bitcoin, so we can get into that in a bit. But I thought this was interesting as we've seen some things out of the CFTC lately that may make crypto people wonder if it's really the favorite of the two regulatory bodies. We'll also get to that as well. But I'm going to toss it straight to Will for his initial thoughts on this headline, which is definitely a bit striking. I love the price prediction. Yeah, let's go back to the background for
3: this story, which is the Senate Agriculture Committee. Yes, that still matters. Agriculture matters. That's where the debate between the CFTC and the SEC happening for the future of digital assets, who's going to be the regulatory body that oversees all these things. And right now, there's a little bit of a turf war between who gets to oversee what. SEC has definitely come out very strong. There's been some op-eds in the Wall Street Journal. There's been some nice videos from Gary Gensler. And now we have this nice little quote from CFTC chairman saying, hey, we should have it. And if we get it, we might pump for Bitcoin a little bit. Of course, that's not what we saying, but it's a nice little add-on there that I like to look at. We'll see what happens with this committee hearing. We'll see what happens with the the decision. could be quite a while, but it's really important, right? Who decides to regulate these bodies or who's in charge regulating these bodies could matter for who gets some time with penalties, who gets fined, how much you have to pay to be in exchange, how these tokens are processed. It's very big for the industry. And I think you could do a lot to mature the industry over the next two years. So definitely something to watch. Again, got to bring it back to that price point. Can't believe he said that. It's a little interesting. Most times regulators do not talk about price at all, but I love that he said it. Jen, over to you.
1: Imagine Gensler making a price prediction like this. I think everyone's <laughs> minds would be blown. He said in the article, you know, growth might occur if we had a well regulated space. I don't think anyone is arguing that, but I thought that the, the funding piece was really interesting. So he mentioned that they've had relatively flat funding over at the CFTC over the past five or six years. And if they were in fact to oversee the crypto industry, that they would need more budget to do that. And so I wonder if there's maybe a little bit of an opportunistic take here on the CFTC's part. You know, If we oversee crypto, we can get more money, the money we've been fighting for for the last five or six years, and then, you know, have this new jurisdiction. I know there's a lot more that goes into this, but I thought it was interesting how that came up in the story as well. I'll pass it back to you, Will.
3: Yeah, the quote I want to pull from the story is really interesting. He said, quote, non-bank crypto institutions thrive on regulation. They thrive on regulation clarity. They thrive on level playing field. And they may otherwise say they don't want that, but they may bicker about the type of regulation. But What they love most is regulation because they are the smartest, the fastest, and the most well-resourced. With those attributes, they can beat everyone else in the market. So obviously, Crypto Bull, right? Obviously, pretty bullish on the entire space if he's going to give it those accolades. But he's saying like, you need some regulation, which I think in the crypto space, you've bounced back into that corner, not necessarily fans of regulation. And to date, that's been for some good reasons and for some bad reasons. There's definitely been some bad actors who have been slapped down. But there's also been some cases where there's been misaligned incentives. There's been oversights. There has been bad rulings on things. And I can see how entrepreneurs in the crypto space are not very interested in regulation. At the end of the day, though, it is coming, right? There's already being processed within these Senate committees, within these hearings. So it's going to happen. You just hope that's going to end up on the right side of the table. Zach, over to you.
2: Yeah, I think to me, the thing that stands out also was, you know, the the prospect of institutional inflows should a more clearly regulated marketplace emerge. And I think that is, I mean, that generally holds, you know, to Jen's point. I think that, yeah, that is sort of the, the view from Wall Street is that if there are more clear rules of the road, those people who may still be on the sidelines would be more interested in, in aping into crypto here. So I think uh, that stood out to me as well, but we do risk sort of lionizing one regulator over the other. We've seen that, I think, in the crypto markets in the last year or so, where the SEC has sort of become the big bad villain and the CFTC is sort of like, yes, commodity. It's like a gold, you know, Bitcoin is so decentralized. It just is. It's like this raw thing. It's like corn or, or gold or oil. And it should corn. surely be within <laughs> the, CFTC's, the, the CFTC's remit. But meanwhile, I think it was just last week, the CFTC made this took this action against UkiDAO, which is the thing that followed BZX. And that enforcement action had potential ramifications among those who looked into this thing that suggested that getting DAOs off the ground would be extremely difficult, right? So there is still some things within the CFTC that may not be what crypto true believers are hoping the CFTC is, right? If you look at the Ookie DAO thing, basically like everyone in the DAO got served. And that's potentially really chilling for innovation in new organizational forms. Again, whether this organizational form was set up to escape regulation and enforcement, that's an open <laughs> question. But for other people experimenting in this space, the CFTC did something last week that was potentially really scary for these future Web3 organizations. So before we lionize the CFTC as sort of the, the GigaChad champion of the crypto space, it's worth remembering that sometimes when you build up these, these idols, they ultimately end up biting you. Jen, I want to give it to you for your last thoughts on this one.
1: I just want to add to the Ukidao piece. Everyone in that DAO got served, even if you were anonymous, have no personal information out there, you were served with a lawsuit from the CFTC via it being posted on a public message board. Just let that sink in for a little bit. It is crazy and going to be an interesting one to watch.
0: You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on
4: AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time?
0: Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.